Salutations, college football fans. Spring is in the air, and you know what that means. Spring football! And while we as college football fans are excited and started to get teased at the idea that college football is right around the corner, spring does mean a time of starting to get questions answered for all 130 Division I football teams. And while there are questions abound through every conference and for every team, there shouldn't be a question about which college football podcast you need to subscribe to, and that's us. We are a bowl full of chips. I am your unquestioned co-host, Chappie, and I am joined by Quest Bruv, the question quencher, Bip. Bip, how have you been? It seems like forever, man. Chappie, I was lucky enough to have a mini vacation to recharge the batteries, and coincidentally enough, it happened to be in the middle of Mac country to follow our Mac review, Toledo, Ohio, and... Like many Rocket fans, I experienced some very enjoyable moments and some moments when I kind of wanted to tear my hair out, mainly (laughs) due to my lovely and very energetic children. But uh, how how goes life in your neck of the woods there, Chappie? Same thing, man. Uh, It is currently (laughs) spring break for for me and and being in the teaching profession. It's really the two words that are the the most joyous two words you could say as a teacher. Right. Um, and, uh, so yeah, some good TLC time with, with my daughters, my, my beloved spouse is out of town for part of the week. So it's kind of just, uh, the three of us, but it's been good daddy daughter time, but also it's been a little bit more extra time to delve deeper into college football research, which, you know, is, is the passion that I live for. So it's been good, man. Good week. Good week. But we're we're back now, and it's it's time to get back into the swing of things, which on a bowl full of chips is talking college football, bringing football closer. So we thank you guys and gals for listening and sharing and what we care so much about. And speaking of sharing, can you do us a favor, please? When you're done listening to this, can you hit that share button and text, tweet, or email our link to those you know that love college football even as half as much as you do? Uh, and to help make this podcast work for you and bring you more of what you want, Feel free to interact with us on Twitter or email. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC BIP. And you can also send emails to us. Uh, just send it to bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. So as you know by now, if you've been listening, we have a, a quick intro on in every podcast where we say that we love college football. It's true. We love to laugh. And BIP and I, we love spring. So the best thing about spring to me, Bip, is the change from that awful cold weather where we live in Michigan to that warm weather that gives you a glimpse of, you know, rebirth and renaissance and good things to come. We've got green outside, sun outside, and maybe more importantly, kids outside. And the best thing about spring, for for me anyway, is spring football. Bip, how about you? Yeah, you know, uh, spring's kind of like a soggy or fall without the football, the entire football season to look forward to. But like you said, there's spring football, there's the draft, there's baseball, there's plenty of, uh, you know, the the, oh, the beginnings oh. of. Sorry, Bip, I, I just got hit by your wet blanket there. Keep going. <laughs> well, you know, uh, and, um, you know, there's, I, I don't know about you, Chappie, but uh, it seems to, for me anyways, the, the month of April, which coincides with uh, really the, the crux of, of spring, there seems to be about a million birthdays. So uh, forgive uh-huh. me if I if I have a, a little bit of uh, sour grapes uh, towards spring, but it's like every other day we uh, we the us in the uh, 
Chapman household have a uh, a birthday party to attend and uh, something to go towards. <laughs> you mean you don't enjoy kids' birthday parties where you have to get a gift for somebody that maybe you've met once and uh, you know go through that whole rigmarole to maybe uh, know that in two years your kid's not even going to be friends with them anymore? That's not enjoyable to you, Bip? It's about as enjoyable as being in Ann Arbor to watch Notre Dame lose. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, touche, touche. Uh, well, before we get into our segment for today, we do want to give a quick shout out, and that goes to at Paul Meyerberg from USA Today. So uh, I say his his Twitter handle because that's his name, Paul Meyerberg, and that's his Twitter handle as well. Put the at sign in front of it or the ampersand. Um, today, uh, or he he works for USA Today. Uh, he's a national writer who helps us get prepared for the season with info, insight, and good things to think about regarding college football, primarily with the Power Five conferences. So um, Paul's pieces were were a good bit of research and, and research to help us get ready for today's topic, which is spring football questions. So, Bip, let's get right to it. Let's talk football and dive into the questions that we see as the needing and most definitive answers for the bigger pieces of the college football landscape, a sort of to-do list for the teams with the most lofty expectations. So, Bip, let's give the people some answers, and let's start with the ACC. And we'll, we'll start with you, my friend. Tell us maybe what is the biggest question that you see heading into 2019 coming from the ACC? Well... Chappie, I think I'm going to go right to it uh, with our defending national champs and and question how will their defense fare in 2019 after losing so much talent? They lose five defensive linemen, including their starting four, uh, and that includes Albert Huggins, who filled in for Dexter Lawrence very well in the playoffs and provided some really important rotation depth. They also lose two starting linebackers, Trey Lamar and Kendall Joseph, and two corners, Trayvon Mullen and Mark Fields. Amongst that talent, they had two All-Americans, three first-team All-ACC selections, two second-team All-ACC, and two third-team All-ACC selections. Now, they returned Xavier Thomas, Isaiah Simmons, A.J. Terrell, Kayvon Wallace, and Tanner Muse. All of them will be vying for All-ACC all honors, and Thomas Simmons and Terrell could all be All-Americans this year. But this is a defense that last year finished second in the nation in points per game, fourth in yards per game third in rush yards per game, sixth in defensive uh, third down conversion rate, and fourth in red zone red zone defense. However, all three teams that were in front of them in red zone um, defense had higher touchdown red zone rates, meaning that Clemson limited their opponents to more field goals uh, more frequently. And they were only second to Mississippi State in the country as it comes to uh, um, percentage of, of touchdowns allowed in the red zone. So um, one more stat, they were second in tackle for loss uh, per game. However, they were first in tackle for for loss yardage, beating the number two team by over or by 134 yards. So this is a team that not only limited points, they got in the opponent's backfield, really created havoc, and they lose a ton of that talent. And I know that not everything's about star ratings and recruiting services and everything, but Clemson has had good recruiting classes. They don't have the caliber that Alabama has in regards to um, elite talent all across the board. They're good for a few five stars, but recently they've been getting a lot of their um, star ratings on the offensive side of the ball. So really curious to see how they can replenish such an exodus of talent coming up in 2019, Chappie. Yeah, well, I, I was going to go right to that recruiting piece. Over the last four years, they have averaged a rank of 11th in national recruiting, and that's based on the 24-7 composite rankings. So 
Um, and, you know, also, Bip, they've played in the last three college football playoff, um, right. you know, formats. So I'm not too worried about what they lose on defense. Granted, yes, uh, you 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 ran down that list, and that's that's quite the laundry list of guys that you have to say farewell to. But um, keep in mind, they do have, in my opinion, the best defensive coordinator in the game, and Brent Venables. Right. Um, yep. And you know some of those uh, players that they do have coming back this year, like you mentioned, Xavier Thomas, um, Chad Smith is a is a, uh, a steady linebacker, um, and then in the secondary, AJ. Uh, Terrell and then Tanner Muse, uh, those that's that's pr- a pretty good building block of guys to go from to kind of mold those guys into the new guys into shape. And uh, I mean, let's face it, Clemson plays in the ACC, which is not an offensive juggernaut conference conference. So I'm not too concerned about what they're going to have to do to replace those guys. Um, I, I think unless we have a misaligning of the stars and unless the apocalypse is upon us, you're going to see the the orange and white right there in the top four going into the uh, the semifinals for the college football playoff once again. And I think this defense is going to be just fine, Bip. But uh, certainly a question that I'm sure um, other fans have as well. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but again, I, you, you referenced Alabama. Alabama has had this kind of problem seemingly year in and year out. And every year you're talking right. about Bama being one of those great um, defensive units again, and and good point you made that Bama does seem to recruit better on the defensive side of the ball, whereas Clemson is more offensive minded. But um, I, I think Clemson will be just fine in that regard. My my two cents. And, and I was going to go right there, uh, like you did, in, in mentioning how weak the ACC is, yep. at least appearance appearingly um, at the beginning of the season going into 2019. So they should be good for winning the ACC. The only question that I have is because the ACC is so weak, if Clemson does stumble once during the season, would that be enough to keep them out? Now, I think they probably have enough style points to, to put them in the playoffs still, but um, say that they do make it to the playoffs, is this defense going to be good enough and is it going to be deep enough uh, to uh, make the national championship run like they did last year and and uh, in seasons past as yeah, well. And, and I think uh, the the big thing to watch is going to be their health. If they stay healthy, then this is going to be a group that will mold and form. Now, their, their schedule, to me, is very uh, front-loaded. They start off with Georgia Tech, Texas A&M, both at home. Then they travel to Syracuse, but I think they get uh, the orange in a very good spot. I don't think that Syracuse is going to be – uh, Clemson ready by week three, and and Clemson should go into their bye um, the first week in October undefeated at six and zero, actually five and zero. I'm sorry, but this is a perfect segue into my question. When they meet the Florida State Seminoles on October 12th, that is going to be really their uh, you know a, their second big test after Texas A&M. Uh, no disrespect to the Syracuse Orange. So my question for Florida State who. Um, could be back this year. Um, big asterisks on the could. But my question is, will Kendall Bryles, the new offensive coordinator for the Seminoles, be the AED machine needed to revive this FSU offense? Don't you go dying on me! So, let me just, uh, let me tell you why I think that they're going to be much better offensively here, Bip. As offensive coordinator the last four years, Kendall Bryles has been at uh, two years at Baylor, uh, a year at FAU, and then last year at Houston. And his offensive units have finished third, 35th, first, and eighth nationally in total offense. Okay, that's that's the entire country. And he is seen mm-hmm. as one of the 
bright young offensive minds and probably going to be after this season um, on a near the top of the list of people who are going to be given a shot as a head coach. Um, obviously, his dad, Art Bryles, has done great things, um, X's and O's, and scheme-wise, we'll, we'll save the, the program dismantling uh, for another time. But, <laughs> right. um, you know, I think that uh, Bryles ha- certainly has the track record. And let's, let's face it, Bip, all of those programs that I mentioned, Baylor, Florida Atlantic, and Houston, had a much more narrow recruiting base than he does at Florida State. They, he's got the offensive talent. Absolutely. Um, you know, big question's going to be at quarterback. Is James Blackman going to be a guy that can fit well with that offense? I don't see Alex Hornerbrook upseating Blackman. I think Blackman's been there. You know, he's got the familiarity not only with his receivers in the program, but I think that he's more of a Kendall Bryles quick catch set throw style offense where we touched on it earlier. Hornerbrook is more of that pro style quarterback. So, um, yeah, you know, so that question is, uh, can that offensive unit get going? And maybe the bigger question, are they going to have an offensive line that's going to protect Blackman or whoever's there at quarterback and allow him to throw to those wealth of receivers on the outside and, and give Cam Akers at the running back position a chance to, to find some seams and some creases and, and get downfield and stretch the field vertically. I think that they will. I think they'll do well. I don't see them beating Clemson, but you know that's certainly going to be a, a game of magnitude once again because the Seminoles also have a, a relatively easy schedule after Boise State. So they start off with Boise State in Jacksonville, then they play UL Monroe. They've got to play at Virginia, but Virginia to me, Bip, is is a team that might be a little bit overrated early on in the season. I think Florida State's going to kind of have that element of surprise. People aren't going to expect a ton out of them, whereas Virginia kind of has that bullseye on them now after a, a pretty good successful surprise season last year. Then the Knowles play Louisville and NC State. They've got the bye, and then they go into Clemson. So they theoretically could be undefeated 5-0 and going into that Clemson game on October 12th. And if they are, I think that a big reason is going to be Kendall Bryles, their their new offensive coordinator. Yeah, what a home run hire. And it, and it's tough to get to go from De'Eric King to anywhere else and produce better results. But if if he had to go anywhere to do so, Florida State seems like it's in a great position for him. Um, now, as you mentioned, he's got the the a healthy competition between Blackman and, Hor- and Hornibrook. I'll be really intrigued to see who comes away with that one. Um, I think like you, I think Blackman's going to come out on top, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the most talented group of running backs he's ever had with both Cam Akers and Kalen LeBourne. Um, mm-hmm. Toad in the rock for them. And I'm also really interested to see how um, – uh, Tamori and Terry builds off of his really talented um, and exceptional freshman season as he averaged uh, over 21 yards per catch and had eight touchdowns in 2018. Um, this Florida State team kind of uh, got down on themselves and were out of the game oftentimes after the first quarter just with the attitudes and um, the here we go again looks on the sideline, but a good offense can really make up for that. And um, got to wonder if uh, a, a revitalized recharged offense can help solve a lot of what plagued them last year, which was the, the poor locker room, poor uh, sideline um, attitudes and, and uh, um, mannerisms that they, that they had throughout the entire season. Yeah. And, and just kind of off the cusp, in, in remembering the, the offenses that Bryles has been a part of, 
he's never really had exceptional offensive linemen. And I think it's because his system is so catered to just going so fast and so quick, as long as you can, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. predicated around creating space and finding space and getting to that space. Um, I don't know that that was well coordinated last year for Florida state and their offensive coordinator uh, from a year ago, Walt Bell, Um, no disrespect to Bell. He was promoted and and is now the head coach at UMass, but um, I just see a, a lot, different style of offense and and a lot more progressive offense from from Bryles this year sure well let's go to the uh let's go to big 10 country uh bip and um i'm going to start off with my big question for the big 10 and that goes for the michigan state spartans what is this msu offense going to look like in 2019 spartans what is your profession now they were I think the word putrid is maybe more complimentary than what it should be. Their <laughs> offense was was just bad last year. It was so un-D'Antonio like. Um, you know, Mark D'Antonio has always been a coach that wants to ground and pound, um, throw the rock, you know, force the rock down your throat, and then keep shoving it down your throat until the game's over. Uh, Michigan State finished 115th in the country in rush offense last year. They were. Um, the fourth worst scoring offense at 126th. Uh, they they only uh, they were 123rd in offensive yards per play, and you know it wasn't just the run game. Brian Lewerke, we found out had a shoulder injury last year that was nagging him, and I think it was a classic case of trying to do too much, and then they tried to relieve him with Rocky Lombardi, who showed that he was not ready to to take that offense, especially in the position he was put in where it's kind of like, okay, now it's on your shoulders, and oh, by the way, we need you to play against Ohio State and Michigan and um, you know some of the bigger boys in the Big Ten, and, and Lombardi just wasn't cut for that in his redshirt freshman season. So um, reports that I've, I've seen out of the spring is that you know Lewerke's teammates are saying that he's had an impressive spring, um, he seems healthy. Uh, he's he's on the money with his throws. And, and Lewerke is somebody who I've always thought throws one of the better deep balls, one of the prettier deep balls of all the Big Ten quarterbacks. Uh, but, you know, his biggest asset is his athleticism. Um, you know, he was good as a sophomore. In his first two years, he completed about 57% of his passes for a 22-8 to touchdown-to-interception ratio in just 17 games as a redshirt freshman and uh, redshirt sophomore. However, last year in his redshirt junior season, um, he clearly digressed. Now, I also talked about his athleticism. He averaged 7.1 yards per carry as a redshirt freshman and then 4.5 yards per carry, uh, or I'm sorry, as a sophomore, and then 4.5 last year on the ground. So that just shows that he's has a knack for making plays. Um, and as bad as the MSU offense was, they actually were, um, you know, close to the top third in sacks allowed. And I think it's it's not because MSU had a great offensive line last year. That was one of their weaknesses. But it's because Brian Lewerke did a great job of extending plays with his feet, keeping his eyes downfield. Uh, the, the issue he forced upon himself last year, though, was forcing the issue. And that led to some uh, timely, you know, Ill- ill-timed interceptions, I should say. We saw it against Utah State, against Arizona State, against Indiana. So there were some games that they lost where Lewerke was their worst enemy, and then there were even some games that they won close where Lewerke put his team in a position where they, they may have lost that game. And then, you know, you and I had talked about the bowl game as well against Oregon where Lewerke clearly was not 100% trying to, to do too much and, and things just were not going his way. Now, the run game, uh, that I think is going to be a lot better this season. So coaches and teammates are, um, you know, saying that 
Ladarius Jefferson is uh, is going to be their their back of the future. Now he was kind of going through a transition last year. He won Mister Football in the state of Michigan at a high school as a senior, but as a quarterback, um, he uh, you know he's going to get the the bulk of the carries this year. Connor Hayward's also going to get in there. He's he averaged four point five yards per carry and also did a good job of catching the rock out of the backfield. He hauled in 32 passes. Um, but the name to watch out of the spring is early enrollee freshman running back, Anthony Williams, who's from Bolingbrook, Illinois, one of the power programs in that state. Uh, he's had an impressive spring camp. He's somebody who's got some pretty good size um, and is known for hitting the hole quick. And is a, uh, it's not really a load to bring down when you look at him on paper, but when you see him on film and when you see him in game action, he's somebody that really um, can can create problems for defenses in terms of one guy's not going to bring him down. So um, you team that with their wealth of wide receivers, Cody White, um, Lares Nelson, uh, Daryl Stewart. They've got speed and they've got talent out on the outside. They also bring in a, a pretty good freshman, Trey Mosley, who's uh, said to be somebody who's going to contribute this year and this fall as well. So I think Michigan State, you know, statistically they really can't get worse, um, but I think that they're going to make some leaps and bounds and some jumps. And I, I see the Spartans as a team to watch out for in the East this year, maybe somebody that uh, others are not going to uh, be so quick to to rise upon. Bip. Yeah, and I, I don't share as much of your optimism as what could Michigan State's offense look like going into 2019? Well, based on what Mark D'Antonio did with his offensive staff this offseason, it could look very similar to 2018. Just shuffle around a little bit. Right. I can't and believe. I, and I knew you were going to go there, so I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you my thoughts on that in a minute. But go ahead and finish, Bip. I can't believe they didn't shake things up. I, I think you're right. I think if Lewerke is healthy for the entire season, things could have gone a lot better in 2018. It could go very well for them in 2019, but I still think they needed to do more to pump life into the offense as, um, you know, say what you want. I, I'm sure Rocky Lombardi wasn't exactly ready as he was a red Richard freshman thrust in, thrust into um, the fire, but he averaged only 4.8 yards per attempt and uh, Michigan State only had one back that averaged over four yards per carry. Actually, only one back that averaged over 3.3 yards per carry um, as the uh, pretty much the entire group of running backs would put up some pretty pedestrian numbers. So yeah. I, I will wait until I, I'll <laughs> believe it when I see it. Um, but this defense is going to be good enough to where it should be able to carry them through uh, at least seven wins. So if Lewerke can stay healthy, I think that's that's definitely um, something in the right direction for the Spartans. But I think some I think that that was maybe the worst decision made of any college program over the entire offseason was Mark D'Antonio not fight, having um, shaken things up on his offensive coaching staff. Yeah, and, and that's that was my biggest concern, and that was my biggest hesitation with with giving the Spartans some praise offensively. However, you know, they their new offensive coordinator is Brad Salem, who was their quarterback's coach last year. And in previous OC, Dave Werner was also a quarterback's coach in the past and has done some good things. I, I really don't have an answer. I can't explain why the, why the offense was so bad last year. I think part of it was injury, but I never like to blame uh, such poor production just on injury because you are not the – in the bottom right. 10 in the nation in offense just because of a couple injuries. Because if that's the case, they would have tanked it and, and would have been, you know, a two-win team, and they weren't. They won seven games last year. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to use D'Antonio as the trump card. He, to me, is the – he's the best coach in the Big Ten in terms of um, – 
getting the highest amount of production and and reaching the the closest to the pinnacle in the Big Ten and in the college football landscape with maybe the the right. less amount of talent. Now, some people will say, well, what about Fitzgerald at Northwestern? What about Paul Christ? I, again, when you look at what D'Antonio has to work with from a recruiting standpoint and from a resource standpoint and, and as a program, um, the fact that they made the college football playoff a couple of years ago, the fact that they've made it to a couple of uh, New Year's Day games when, you know, at the beginning of the season, experts, quote unquote, experts are looking at it and saying, well, you know, Mark D'Antonio is a good coach. Michigan State is a cute story, but they're not going to do it again. And he continues to raise up when everybody is down on them. So that's that's kind of my that's going to be my ace in the hole this year. And if I'm wrong, I will be the first to admit it. But I I'm going to I'm going to go with D'Antonio on this one here. Bip. Right. And, and I would agree with you if this was a one time thing, but they're only two seasons removed from going three and nine and the offense being one of the big reasons for that. And the offensive staff now isn't too much different, I don't believe, from that 2016 team. So but that kind of goes into uh, my biggest question for the Big Ten, and it revolves around quarterback play. And my question is, can a quarterback please step up for the Big Ten? There's so much uncertainty that surrounds just about every team, every program in the Big Ten. You have Ohio State, who's uncertain as to how good Justin Fields uh, is going to be. Penn State loses all-time great Trace McSorley, who, in my opinion, was sorely overrated as a passer to begin with. Mm -hmm. Michigan State, we just went over. Maryland uh, lost multiple games due to poor quarterback play last year. They Mar come in. Maryland uh, had a quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> Northwestern and Wisconsin both lose three-year plus starters who were inconsistent at the helm throughout their careers. Mm -hmm. Minnesota played musical chairs at quarterback. Illinois sure ran the ball well, and <laughs> Rutgers, well, they still have a football team. Right. Um, so that leaves the top four returning starters as Nate Stanley from Iowa, Shea Patterson from Michigan, Peyton Ramsey from Indiana, and Adrian Martinez from Nebraska. And forgive me if I don't see an All-American candidate in the bunch, but from this group, I would have to go with Patterson if uh, Michigan comes into the 20th century with their offense. But I don't I'm not completely sold on that. The fact that they get Josh Gaddis, um, you know, the whole fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. Or you know what they say, fool me once, strike one, but fool me twice, strike three. Great. Now I feel now I sound just like W, but you, you, get, where, you get where I'm going with this yeah. one. Michigan has time and time again, hired new offensive coordinator, new passing game coordinator, and it's the same old ground and pound. So don't, don't uh, get mad at me if I don't share the same optimism as some in Ann Arbor are sharing with the fact that they have Josh Gaddis. The one who I would say don't sleep on would be Peyton Ramsey from Indiana. Uh, despite the lack of a supporting cast, he's passed for over, he passed for over 2,800 yards last year, completing 66% of his passes, which are impressive numbers for a sophomore and Indiana returns three of their top four receivers, super productive freshman running back, Stevie Scott. And, um, they could be a, a tough offense to defend this year. Um, so the conference is, is bubbling with lots of potential and possible first time starters, Justin Fields, Graham Mertz, Hunter Johnson, and then also the, um, the first year starters from last year. So there, there's lots of potential in this one, but man, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the quarterback position going into 2019 of the big 10. Well, and you know, you mentioned Peyton Ramsey. He was one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch this year from a, from a uh, per performance and production standpoint. I'm going to call it right now. He is 
likely to lose his job this year to Michael Penix, who many people were saying probably should have been the starter last year. He played a little bit. I think he went through some injuries. Um, by most Indiana insider accounts, Penix is a guy, he's a lefty. You know, some people make the uh, comparison to Michael Vick. Uh, he's a very good athlete. He's got some zip on his ball. Peyton Ramsey could be a guy that enters the transfer portal next year because he's too talented to be sitting on the bench. And if I, hmm. you know, when we have our uh, transfer portal uh, wish list next year, BIP, like we did earlier on mm-hmm. one of our podcasts, Peyton Ramsey, I'm going to pencil it in right now, is probably going to be my quarterback. So keep an eye on that. I hope for, oh. for uh, Ramsey's sake that he's not going to lose his job, but may the best man win. And if he does get... Um, beat out by Michael Penix, then, you know, look for Ramsey to say, uh, I'm going to take my talents elsewhere. And this will be one of those cases where, you know, I'm going to pull for the guy to be eligible as soon as he can, maybe not uh, year one, but, um, you know, I think a quarterback position is, is a much different animal than most other transfers who just are kind of, you know, maybe a little bit selfish and want to play right away at quarterback you're either the guy or you're not. It's not like other positions where you have packages and where you can get put in and you're going to get, um, you know, maybe 50% of the snaps, you know, at quarterback, as everybody knows, you're either there or you're right. not. And if you're playing it, yep. usually because your team's not having success, if you're not the, uh, the, the surebred starter from day one. So. Right. No, that's good. Uh, that's good inside information from you there, Chappie. Um, but this, this leads into my, my big 12 question of the, um, and due to the questions surrounding the quarterback position in the Big Ten, I'm going to say, is this the the year that the Big 12 ascends past the Big Ten in regards to conference ranking at the end of the season? And let me tell you why. Um, we, we've done our, our rankings of each conference as we've gone through our reviews. And I put the Big 12 at number, thir- uh, number three this year, just behind the Big Ten. And one of the things that I had mentioned is that the top dogs in the Big 12, Oklahoma, Texas, and West Virginia, I thought were better than the top three within the Big 10. I think that happens again this year in relation to the big, the elite programs. Now, West Virginia is going to take, take a step back, but Oklahoma and Texas both finished in the top 10 last year and both probably start within the, the preseason top 10 in 2019. Mm-hmm. There's also teams like TCU and Oklahoma State that look to rebound from disappointing seasons last year, and teams like Baylor and Iowa State that look to build upon solid seasons last year with highly talented quarterbacks and great coaching staffs. Um, I'm not, as it relates to Michigan or uh, the the Big Ten, I'm not as high on Michigan this year as many of them are due to the fact that I just can't trust their offense to join the 20th century. I'm a little concerned at everything that they lost on the defensive side. And I'm a little concerned with everything that they lost uh, at the running back position. Mm-hmm. And I'm also kind of down on Penn state, uh, Michigan state. And I don't really like anyone out of the West and don't consider anyone out of the West to be considered elite. Sorry, PJ. Um, <laughs> there'll be lots of good teams out of the big 10, but I really only see Ohio state as being great. Yeah. And I think that the Big Ten West is still a year out from really making some noise. So I think the fact that um, the the bottom of the Big Ten is, is really bad, I really don't see outside of maybe Kansas, and they could be a team on the rise this year. I don't see any truly, truly bad teams in the Big 12, but I could see a potential of um, three, maybe four Big 12 teams being ranked within the um, top 20 uh, when all said and done in 2019. Yeah, I think that's uh, I, I think that's agreeable. Um, 
you know, the Big 12's problem has always been they have been one of the more competitive conferences, save for maybe the bottom two teams. And so, you know, the Big 12 has almost been their their own worst enemy in terms of, you know, the middle teams kind of beating up on one another and then getting right. one of those middle teams or two of those middle teams who are going to knock off an Oklahoma or a Texas. Um, I mean, right. Texas suffered that last year. They, they had a couple of... Uh, you know, close games and, and a, a couple of losses that, um, you know, maybe uh, they, they shouldn't have been. I mean, they, they should have beaten West Virginia at home. Um, and, and, and I think that that was a case of Texas was not necessarily an elite team last year. I don't care what they did to Georgia in the bowl game. I, you know, we've talked about right. this, that I, I put bowl games in a different category because of all the dynamics that go into bowl games now and all the players who decide that they're, bigger than their university and, and the program that helped bring them up to put them in the spotlight for the NFL draft. Um, you know, that, that loyalty seems to, to go away after mm -hmm. uh, December 8th anymore. So. Um, right. And, and that's what kind of gives me pause for concern because both conferences have nine conference games every year, but the big 12 has only 10 teams. So everyone plays everyone at least once in the, in the year, whereas the big 10 has 14 teams. So you have, um, opportunities to play teams like Rutgers, um, Illinois, Indiana, Maryland. Uh, but I, I think because the big 10 West is becoming, um, so much on the rise with the increase of the quality of coaches mm -hmm. in that conference, as well as the talent that they brought in from recruiting. I think you could start to see this year to where the teams like Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State start to lose more and more to those uh, what were lower tier teams out of the Big Ten West. We could see more of a, a Big 12 type of scenario in the Big Ten this year and moving forward with the the lower or the middle teams kind of um taking a big bite out of the the upper echelon teams in the big 10 like it happens in the big 12 seemingly every year yeah and and i'll i'll fully admit um aside from the big 10 because you know that's that's my geographic region and and being a northwestern wildcat reporter um you know that's that's my number one conference i pull for the big 12 more than any other conference and maybe part of it is is our texas upbringing um, but I, I, I really long for the day that the big 12 gets back to be where, um, you know, it's, it's right up there in talks with the big 10 and the sec. Yeah. Um, I mean, and they're, and they're, they're really, really close. And I think as long as Iowa state can keep Matt Campbell there and as you know, right. if Matt rule can stay at Baylor, um, this is going to be a, a conference if, if, things keep trending the way that they are in five years. I think that you're right, Biff. I think that they, they might surpass the big 10 um, or at least be neck and neck with them. So it's not just the, the two uh, of the power five and then the other three are kind of in the conversation. I think it will be right. the, the three, the sec big 10 and big 12. Um, sure. So my big 12 question is how is Oklahoma's defense, which had its issues last year, how are they coming along under new defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch? Mr. So, Grinch. Grinch is a guy who um, last year he was at Ohio State and he was really the passing game uh, defensive coordinator for the Buckeyes. Greg Schiano handled, I think, most of the front seven stuff in the run game. Um, for seniority's sake and, and for, uh, you know, out of loyalty, Schiano was more or less the, um, you know, the, the D.C. 1A, if you will, and then Mr. Grinch, which was DC right. 1B. 
Um, and it's not it's not to criticize Alex Grinch at all. I think it's just Urban Meyer made a very political decision to say, all right, I've been with Shiano. He's been here. We're going to bring you in. This is your first year, but we're bringing you in because there's a lot of good that you've done. And I read a pretty good article that said that Urban actually scouted Grinch for a few years and watched film, watched him in his coaching mannerisms. He looked at the numbers. He had people um, eyeing him up for a couple of years before he actually brought him over to Columbus. So, um, and Ohio state was not the best defense in the country last year, but I think that they were one of the most underappreciated defenses. When you talk about, uh, defenses that kind of got scathed by the media, I think there's a lot of people who considered Ohio state to be a, I've heard people call them a terrible defense last year, but if you look at the numbers, that just wasn't true. Um, mm-hmm. Well, he specializes in the secondary, and that's something that Oklahoma really, really struggled with last year. So in 2017 at Washington State, Grinch's defense for the Cougars was 16th in total defense, 47th in rush defense, 7th in pass efficiency defense, which basically means that they limit the big plays through the air, they they cause turnovers through the air, they cause incompletions, um, and they keep everything in front and they don't give up big scoring plays. They were ninth in the uh, country in tackles for loss, ninth in turnovers with 28 total takeaways, um, 13 by fumble and 15 through interceptions, and they were fourth in the country in third down uh, completion or third down conversion percentage. Again, that's in 2017, two years ago. Fast forward to 2018, last year uh, at Ohio State, his defense was 28th in turnovers gained, um, 12 fumbles, 11 interceptions, so 23 total, 15th in sacks, and 42nd in pass efficiency defense. And again, this is as him as a co-defensive coordinator, so he didn't have his full thumbprint on that defense last year. Now he's running the show on the defensive side under Lincoln Riley. And and I really respect that about Lincoln Riley. He seems like one of the most chill head coaches to work for. Um, he trusts his, his assistants. Um, he lets them do what they need to do. And if it's not working, he's, you know, even at his young age, he's not uh, above saying we need to make a change. And that was a tough decision for him to get rid of Mike Stoops last year, but it was something that benefited them. I think that, uh, they got a little bit better from there, but obviously um, they needed some new blood. And so I think I think Grinch is going to come in and make this defense better from the sheer standpoint that he likes to be aggressive and he's going to have the athletes at OU to, to run his blitz packages and attack the, the backfield. So o- Oklahoma returns 85% of their defensive production from last year. Those yeah. numbers are pretty good. And the two headliners are Ronnie Perkins at rush end and Kenneth Murray at one of those uh, two linebacker spots. But he'll also be um, – coming through some A-gap blitzes and some fire blitzes that Grinch likes to run. Um, so so keep an eye on those two names on the stat sheet in terms of guys who are going to get tackles for loss, who are going to get sacks, and get in quarterbacks' faces to where they're going to have to throw it up against what I think is going to be one of the more talented and one of the better secondaries in the Big 12. Now, if you look at their stats from 2018, you're going to say, Chappie, are you are you crazy? What are you smoking, man? Uh, Oklahoma had one of the worst secondaries in the Big 12 last year, but the talent is there. I just think that they were so confused on scheme last year and having to go from a switch and losing your defensive coordinator mid-year and then having to kind of adjust to Ruffin McNeil then being the new defensive coordinator and, and going through – um, stylistic changes and um, a change in a coaching style that that 
plays on, on, on athletes. Now with Grinch coming in, he's been here for the spring. They've got the summer to work with him. They've got fall camp. You've got guys like their cornerbacks, I think, are going to be some of the best in the in the conference. Parnell Motley and Trey Brown are going to be the starters. But Trey Norwood, number 13, is a guy who started last year, um, and he'll probably play that nickel corner position and play it well. All three of them are really good in terms of press coverage, which Grinch likes to run. Um, I know they had their, their issues last year, but this could very well be one of the better groups that we see in the Big 12. And collectively with Perkins up front and, like I said, returning so many guys on that defensive side, they took their lumps. And sometimes your best uh, lessons are learned from mistakes. And I think that this defense certainly made their share of mistakes last year, and they're going to be better uh, on the whole this year. So that that's what puts Oklahoma really in that conversation as a team that could challenge Clemson and Alabama as a potential national champion for 2019. Yeah, and whenever you have uh, returning starters, the question is how talented and and how productive are those returning starters? But um, as as we know, there there wasn't a whole lot of production to speak of last year with this Oklahoma defense. But I right. think defensively definitely um the more experience that you have uh returning the better shape you're going to be in regardless of what the previous year showed as far as stats um and especially in the secondary i mean that that seems to be a a position to where um whether it's safety or corner knowing where to be knowing um you know picking up some of the 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 game time the valuable game time experience and returning that from a year to year uh, basis that's going to be huge and I think uh, bringing in Grinch is going to help out uh, greatly as well and let's face it with that Lincoln Riley offense they don't have to improve too much in order to be um, moving up from a top 10 team to a top four team um, in, in relation to year end so um, that was their Achilles heel last year doesn't need to be too much better as if they were only slightly better against Alabama, they could have started off a little better than being down 28, nothing. And who knows, maybe it could have been a completely different playoff game at that point. Yeah. Like I had mentioned on an earlier podcast, uh, I remember driving in the car and, and getting texts from you and, and our, and our brother Josh and saying, you know, Hey, are you, are you watching what's happening here? Alabama's on the ropes. And I'm like, you're kidding me. They were up 28, nothing. I mean, that game was over after the first four possessions in the first, in the first half. So, um, yeah, definitely have some fight. And, and obviously with Lincoln Riley, you're always in a game with that offense. Yeah, for sure. So chapter and, and- Oh, Real quick, Bip, I, I wonder when Grinch was brought in in that in that brief interview session. I wonder if he was asked, "Give us three words to describe the Oklahoma defense in 2018," and if his response was, "Stink, stank, stunk." <laughs> Sorry, I had to get nice that one. pun in there. Nice no, I like it. I like it. <laughs> so, well, Jappy, why don't you take us to the the other 12 conference, the one that actually stands for 12 teams in it, the Pac-12? What's your question for 2019? Well, it's going to be, um, will the high-octane Chip Kelly offense finally take flight for UCLA this year? I feel the need, the need for speed. And I say finally because um, he's only been there one year, but when he was hired and when he was brought into Westwood, you got to think that those UCLA Bruin fans were thinking, okay, we're going to have an offense that's going to uh, light up the the points and light up the scoreboard and and really get things going. And they just couldn't last year. There were injuries. Um, I mean, it was seeing Wilton Spate, a, a pure pro passing quarterback transfer from Michigan, as the primary starter for Chip Kelly's offense last year. You know that things were not going at the pace and at the 
uh, progression that that Kelly wanted. So um, throughout his his brief career as a head coach, it seems like Chip Kelly's been coaching forever, but really um, it's only been a matter of about 10 years that he's been a head man. Um, and in year two, he's done a pretty good job. So if you go back to his time at Oregon, they went to the national championship game in year two for Chip Kelly. Now, granted, he inherited a much better stock at Oregon <laughs> yeah. um, from Mike Bellotti than he did under Jim Mora um, at UCLA. But uh, he's got 75% of his returning uh, talent from the skill positions back, plus four offensive linemen. Now, the offensive line is the biggest uncertainty coming into 2019, but it is nice. It's a nice assurance to know that you've got four guys who have game experience, who have played against uh, their opponents, and who have familiarity with that scheme. Um, you know, anytime you've got at least one year under your belt, that certainly bodes better than bringing in four new offensive linemen. Um, uh, Dorian T Thompson Robinson, or DTR as he's affectionately known, played his best games last year against some of the better defenses. Now, at the cusp, you know, looking at the stats, I thought, okay, DTR was a little bit overhyped last year, didn't really perform to expectations, but he had a he had a pretty respectable season last year. And when I looked closer at who he played against Cincinnati, against Washington, and against Cal, all of whom were in the top twenty in national defensive ranks, um, that's where Robinson played his best, and he also played pretty well against a CFP team in Oklahoma who we just talked about. So you know that he he shows up against the big boys, and if he can do that on a consistent basis this year as the guy running Chip Kelly's offense, you know he's an athlete, you know he's got speed. So um, that spread, uh, you know, get the quarterback out in space, that, that option-type offense where they've got a quick back. Uh, I really, really like Joshua Kelly at running back. I think he was maybe the best-kept, quote-unquote, secret in the country last year. Um, and I say that because playing on the West Coast, not a lot of people knew who he was. And even if you mention his name now, some people uh, east of the Mississippi might say, who does he play for? Uh, he rushed for 1,243 yards last year, which was 5.5 yards per catch or per carry. I'm sorry. He had 12 touchdowns, and he's also a good receiver out of the backfield, which is pivotal in a Chip Kelly-type offense. Um and he's got depth behind him, Martel Irby and Kashmir Allen, and they're really high on Kashmir Allen. He didn't really take over that running back role like they expected him to last year, and Kelly kind of took it from him. But he's a he's a good number two back out of the backfield. Their wide receivers, Theo Howard, Demetric Felton, Michael Akizi, and then Chase Cota as well as a guy, um, you know, big size, good targets for DTR to throw to. Um, so I think, yes, we will see this UCLA offense fly this year and give the Sons of Westwood something to eight-clap cheer about. Bip. Yeah, and what I'm most interested to see is, are, is, are the reins going to be taken off of DTR? And part of that goes to that offensive line that you mentioned. Um, UCLA finished 102nd in the country in sacks allowed, which really contributed to uh, Thompson Robinson's um, terrible rushing numbers. He had yeah. 50 carries for only 68 yards, but as we know, sack yardage is, is taken into account there, but even still you figure with 50 carries, um, he would have amounted to more sack yardage uh, included in that. So I'm interested mm -hmm. to see if he's going to resemble more of the Oregon quarterbacks that Chip Kelly had now that he's in his second year. Um, Cause he was a true freshman last year. And you wonder how difficult it was for him to pick up the playbook um, or if the spotlight was too big on him. Um, so interested to see how that happens. I think you're right. I think there's definitely a an uptick in offense for UCLA this year. 
couldn't get much worse as they finished second uh, from the bottom in the Pac-12 last year to only Cal in regards to points scored um, in the conference. So, um, and you and you damn well better finish above Cal in almost any offensive category in twenty. That's right, <laughs> exactly. So in the Pac-12, I, I had um, a couple teams that I wanted to uh, that I'm interested in seeing. I want to see. How do USC and Oregon look this year when both teams appear to be in complete opposite directions heading into the season? Now, Oregon, the Ducks are in many preseason top tens, and by the time the season starts, depending on the transfer portal, how springs play out, they could be in the top five for some. They gained Jawan Johnson from the transfer portal from Penn State, and he really helped soften the blow of losing Dylan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they'll need that because they have a very young group of uh, receivers and um, someone's going to need to step up as uh, Jalen Red finished second on the team last year with only 433 yards. And the next true receiver was Johnny Johnson, who finished fifth on the team with only 250, 215 receiving yards. So lots of yardage to be made up for with the loss of, of Mitchell. Obviously, they returned Justin Herbert, who had career highs in yards and touchdowns last year. But he also completed a career low 59.4% of his passes. Um, now to help him out and to help the rest of the offense, their, their pair of will be soon or will be sophomores of, uh, CJ Verdell and Travis Dye should really help Herbert greatly as they could Mm -hmm. propel this top 25 to top 40 offense in 2018 into the potential top 10, top 15 in 2019 as Mitchell was really their, their only loss on offense and defensively. They have some losses as they lose uh, Jalen Jelks, who was first team all Pac-12, as well as um, honorable mention selections, Justin Hollins and Ugo Amadi. Um, also lose a couple other starters, um, but they, they get a real boost from Kayvon Thibodeau coming in, who's a Russian who is ranked as the number one prospect in the country by ESPN mm-hmm. and within the top 10 by 24-7 and rivals as well. So should lessen the blow of losing uh, Jelks, but... High expectations for um, the Ducks this year, and got to wonder, is Mario Cristobal up to the task of leading the Ducks into the Pac-12 championship and possibly higher um, going into 2019? And then on the other side, you have USC. So we kind of all know their turmoil. They signed Cliff Kingsbury to be their offensive coordinator, only to lose him to the NFL. They signed Brew McCoy to be yet another dangerous offensive weapon, only to lose him to Texas. Mm -hmm. And they were been hit hard by the transfer portal. The following four or five stars are in the transfer portal from the Trojans, and they include Trayvon Sidney, and forgive me on this next name, Josh Imatorabahibi. Uh, I know I didn't pronounce that. My apologies. I'm going to say that's family. correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Levi Jones, Oluwale Batiku, Bubba Bolden, Yakili Ross, and Greg Johnson. Yeah. And this is after USC had some notable attrition um after the 2018 season due to graduation and guys moving on to the draft. To top things off, they were also implicated as the school involved in that admission scandal involving Aunt Becky um, recently. <laughs> so anything to do with uh, <laughs> the uh, football program, but just yet another thing to, to go wrong for the university this offseason. 2018, they looked bad at times and not so bad at other times. Their biggest problem was they couldn't close out games as they held a lead in most of their losses, oftentimes into the second half. So we'll find out in 2019 whether that was bad luck, bad coaching, bad execution, or kind of all inclusive as 2019 will either be Clay Helton's swan song or his road to redemption, uh, helping them out 
They have a top five group of receivers with Vaughn's, uh, Pittman Jr., and St. Brown. And we'll see if JT Daniels can live up to those lofty expectations that he had coming in as a true freshman last year. Yeah. And, you know, going back to Oregon, I think, you know, I, I almost feel bad for the Ducks and Duck fans because I think that they're giving, they're getting far too much hype than maybe what they need at this point. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to be good, but. Uh, there are a lot of people who are pegging them as a potential college football playoff team and the quote-unquote saviors for the Pac-12. They open up at Auburn, and to me, Bip, this Oregon team is not as good as the Washington team who got beat by Auburn last year um, in that opening game. Auburn is going to be a team that is, you know, there's a question of who's going to play quarterback, but, you know, we've talked about the sense of urgency that Gus Malzahn has this year, and they've got a stifling defense coming back. I think that's something mm-hmm. a lot of people are maybe overlooking. So Axel Heck has got a lot of uh, you know problems <laughs> coming his way at quarterback right. for the uh, for the Ducks. And um, <laughs> you know, again, I, I think that they will be good, and and they probably will be uh, one of the front runners to win the Pac-12 North. But guess who they have to play on the road? Bip, who's their biggest contender in the North? the Washington Huskies. So, um, you know, the, the Oregon schedule is is tougher than people might think, even Oregon Duck fans. So we already talked about opening up against Auburn. They've got to play Nevada, who is going to be maybe one of those sneaky good teams out of the Mountain West this year mm-hmm. in week two. They've got to play um, FCS Power Montana. Then they go at Stanford in week four. They've got to buy. They have to play at Washington. They do get Washington State, but they play them right after the Huskies. So, you know, that's a, a tough back-to-back uh, tandem in UW and Wazoo, no matter who you are, no matter what you're bringing. And then they go to the Coliseum to play USC that next week. So, you know, if USC is actually back this year, that's a three-game st- stretch of the Huskies, the Cougars, and the Trojans that Oregon, if they can get through that and they're still undefeated after that, then they will definitely get my vote as a team who's going to be penciled into the college football playoff barring that they don't trip up over the, over the Arizona teams or Oregon state in the finale. So, and those are kind of three completely different teams that you have to prepare for. It's not as if you're getting yeah. uh, some um, economies of scale by playing them back to back to back. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a rough road for the ducks for sure. And, and we'll get into this in maybe one of our next podcasts with, with further spring questions. But um, I'm really curious to see about Jacob Eason at Washington. Is he going to be the missing link that takes the Huskies to that college football playoff, whereas Jake Browning never could get him there? Well, let's go to the, let's go to the SEC. And um, so my SEC question, Bip, to round out our Power 5 spring questions here is, what are we going to see from five-star recruit Jerrion Early at Ole Miss? Mississippi, this is your song. So here's a guy who is not only a football talent, but maybe more of a baseball talent and uh, very well could be a high draft pick in this summer's MLB draft. Um so there's still the question of will he even play football at Ole Miss? However, I recently, as of about an hour ago, went onto his Twitter profile and it says one thing and one thing only under his name, Ole Miss running back, period. So you've got to hmm. feel good if you're an Ole Miss fan that, you know, if, if that's going to be his identification on Twitter, um, you think that he's at least going to give year one a go and 
God bless Kyler Murray for doing what he did and playing football and having the success that he did because that's going to give us a chance to see other multi-sport stars like Jerry on Ely. And, Bip, do you know who the offensive coordinator is at Ole Miss this year? Um, I believe it's Rich Rod. It is Rich Rod. So we all okay. know that as a head coach, not so great. But as an offensive coordinator, that's one of the guys that I would love to have running my plays on the offensive mm-hmm. side of the ball. Um, he clearly has done great things with running backs in his spread offense in the past. He not only has Ely, but um, the starter ahead of him, Scotty Phillips, had a pretty good breakout year last year for the Rebels. Um, my question is going to be, uh, who's going to play at quarterback for them? They've got uh, last year's backup, Matty Corral, who actually only played in four games, so he'll be able to play as a redshirt freshman this year. Um, yep. Even though he saw a time last year, he started the Egg Bowl. Uh, or I'm sorry, he came in in the Egg Bowl, and, and we saw the melee that happened there. But he's a And talent. he's got a cannon for an arm. Yeah, he does. Um, but then he's going to be hard-pushed by um, John Reese Plumley, who is a four-star recruit at quarterback and also a two-sport star for the Rebels. And it sounds early on like Ely and, and Plumley are, are pretty good friends. They've played in the baseball circuit together. Um, who knows, probably going to be roommates at Ole Miss. So are they going to keep each other on the gridiron? And if so... Watch out for the Rebels this year. That's a team who could really sneak up. Now they are eligible for postseason. I think Matt Luke has has won over that locker room. Players seem to love him. They basically petitioned for him to get the job when uh, Hugh Freeze was was booted out of there. And even though Luke was an interim coach, um, the players basically politicked and um, demanded that Luke be retained as the head coach at that program. Uh, now, Ely, like I said, a five-star recruit, he he chose Ole Miss over Clemson and Alabama, so certainly no two slouches in, in terms of uh, dismissed programs. Um, so, you know, are we going to see Ely early and often, and and how much are we going to see of him, and, and are we going to see him at all? My hope is that as a college football fan, yes, we are, but even so, uh, as, a, as somebody who would like to see the Ole Miss Rebels get back and be a player in that SEC West and kind of threaten uh, Alabama and LSU and uh, even some of the maybe more slightly overrated teams like Mississippi State and Texas A&M, will the Rebels have a chance to uh, compete even more on a level because they've got guys like Ely and, and like I mentioned, Plumlee as well? Yeah, and Jerry on Ely was one of the most fun guys to watch in the Under Armour All-American game. Oh, I mean, yeah. He just made play after play after play, and he was easily one of the best, if not the best, in that game. Um, now, the difference between him, and and I know there's a lot of people that are going to make the comparisons between him and Kyler Murray of, oh, he can do both, he can enter the draft. Uh, Kyler Murray actually opted out of the MLB draft coming out of high school because he committed to play both baseball and football at Texas A&M. Yeah. Now, Jerry Ely, I'm sure the Ole Miss staff is going to be watching in June because that that Major League Baseball draft, if Ely is entering his name into there, um, they're going to be watching that like a hawk because it's going to be hard to turn down top 10 pick money um, because M- uh Baseball teams only have a year to sign the the uh, the player that they draft, and I don't think that a team would be willing to give him a guaranteed signing bonus and let him sit three years right. um, as he plays uh, college football, um, similar to how the A's drafted Murray and let him sit for that uh, that year while he played college football. So interesting to see what comes from that. I, like you, hope that he ends up playing because he was a lot of fun to watch in the All-Star game and hope that uh, he can be given every opportunity to shine at Ole Miss as well. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm going to keep it on the ground uh, with my SEC question and say, how does Najee Harris look this year for Alabama? Yeah, You want to talk about a loaded backfield. Josh Jacobs was maybe thought of as the third string running back coming into 2018 for Alabama. He might be the top running back picked in the NFL draft. Damian Harris is also gone, and he's likely to be a first or second day pick as well. Leaving Najee Harris, who was the top overall recruit in his class coming out of high school, according to some services, and may have been the most talented back in Alabama the last three years. He averaged 6.1 yards per carry as a freshman, 6.7 last year, despite almost doubling his carries. So he's going to be critical to the balance of the Crimson Tide offense as they only finished, I think, 42nd in the country in rushing offense. And we saw what happened in the title game last year with that high-flying Bama offense and how it could be slowed and and that Tua could be rattled. So I think more so than, than the past couple years, they may emphasize the running game so that way they can make sure that they can switch and slow things down in the event that they get jumped all over by a, an ath- a fast athletic defense like they saw in the national championship game against Clemson. Mm-hmm. I think Harris um, ends up being more so a bell cow than what Alabama's had the last couple of years. Yeah. I think they there's a good chance that they – they ride him despite the fact that they get Trey Sanders coming in as a highly talented true freshman this year. And I look for Harris to be just as much of a Heisman contender as Tua. And I look for those two to be um, tied with uh, Lawrence and ETN from Clemson and those four to be the front front runners for the Heisman all year long. I I applaud you, Bip, and I'm glad you brought that up because I was reading an article recently that um, his teammates, Najee Harris's teammates, were saying even last year that he may be the best back that they've had in the last five or 10 years. Um, And, and you certainly saw a lot of good things and you saw glimpses of it. Um, I think that he is clearly a Doak Walker award candidate, maybe even the Doak winner this year. Um, Obviously that depends on how Alabama does, but you know, if, uh, if he can have a dynamite season, like we're expecting he will, that's going to take some of that pressure off of Tua. So yeah, those two could be neck and neck and really stealing votes from one another come December when it's time for the, the downtown athletic club to make that decision. Um, and you know, there's this talk about Sanders and, and there's always, I mean, even more so in today's day and age, there's a lot more hype on the incoming freshmen, but right. you know, for, for Najee Harris and for Alabama fans, the nice thing about Nick Saban is, um, he could give two bleeps about, um, you know, star <laughs> recruitings and whatnot. Um, he's going to go with, you know, who he knows, not who he thinks, but who he knows is going to be the guy. And um, very rarely do you see a freshman, a true freshman, get the bulk of the carries under Nick Saban. Right. And if that happens, I'd be worried if I was a Crimson Tide fan because that usually means that you don't have as much in the run game. So, yeah, expect right. Najee Harris to have, um, you know, a big season. And, and I'm glad you asked that question, Bip. Yeah. And, and it, um, it, uh, to, to touch upon your point, Josh Jacobs was only a three-star and, and he had one of his best seasons as a freshman. So to, to go to your point, Saban will go with the hot hand and who, who he can trust. And you also saw that in the playoff this year, as Jacobs was really used extensively, um, and, and a side effect to Harris being in a crowded backfield the last two years, he should have really fresh legs for the Crimson Tide this year, as he's only had a combined, uh, just under 300 carries or so during his time in uh, Tuscaloosa. Yeah, good point. Good point. Well, I'm going to go. We're done with our Power Five, but I'm going to include the school without a conference, Notre Dame, and and kind of just give the last 
question here, Bip. And my question is, who is going to be the feature back for the Fighting Irish? Is it going to be Jafar Needs Glasses Armstrong? Uh, is it going to be Tony Jones? Or is it going to be sophomore uh, Jameer Smith? Or is it going to be four-star uh, incoming freshman Kyron Williams? So, um, you know, when you look at college football playoff teams, and Notre Dame being one of them last year, they had a feature back. There was obviously, um, you know, Kennedy Brooks got to be that guy for Oklahoma last year. Um, mm-hmm. It was Dexter Williams for the Fighting Irish. Clearly, it was Travis Etienne for Clemson and then Damian Harris for the Crimson Tide. So if Notre Dame is going to repeat as a college football playoff contender, who is going to be that that big feature back for for Notre Dame? And, um, you know, if, if I'm an Irish fan, which I know you are, uh, that's, that's my biggest question on offense. And, and I say question lightly because you know that they recruit and you know that in a Brian Kelly offense, they're going to find a guy who they, who they can give carries to, and who's going to run behind a very talented offensive line. And with a quarterback like Ian book and great receivers, um, like, uh, Claypool and Fink and, um, you know, other guys that they have coming up in the ranks, uh, they should be okay, but when push comes to shove, if a defense figures out Mr. Book and figures out that vertical passing game and you've got to run it between the tackles, who is it going to be? Um, those guys, I think, have good numbers as pass-catching receiving running backs and also good red zone numbers, but when you are between the 40-yard lines, which one of those guys is going to step up? So that's my big question for the Irish this year, Bip. Do you have a question for Notre Dame um, coming into 2019? Well, it kind of goes hand in hand with with your uh, question there, Chappie. And let me answer that one first. And, and Notre Dame fans, I, I'm sure, will agree with me. And, and we're all hoping that their bell cow is going to be Jafar Armstrong this year. As Tony Jones Jr. is a nice piece to have catching the ball out of the backfield. And he's a good depth piece and a good short yardage guy. Uh, but he doesn't. Uh, let me let me say this first and foremost. Nobody has the gear that Dexter Williams has. Right. Um, so they're behind the 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 eight ball to begin with. But if anyone does have uh, a gear that's close to Dexter Williams, it's Jafar Armstrong, and he's really still learning the position, being a receiver in high school. Yeah. Um, and he he played really well in the first four games last year when Dexter Williams was sitting out uh, due to suspension. Mm-hmm. So if he can come in and he can stay healthy the entire year and really continue to learn the nuances of the running back position, they'll be in good shape. Uh, But more so than that, I question their offensive line, and that's kind of a a head-scratcher to a lot of the country because um, Notre Dame, especially in the Brian Kelly era, has had an exceptional offensive line. They've had many guys go on to the NFL, lots of them being um, high first-round picks, and they have a ton of talent on that offensive line. But last year, it really... Uh, underachieved. They they went through the transition of having a new offensive line coach. They graduated some guys, some highly talented guys. And last year was a, a learning experience, and and the offensive line really needed to gel a lot. This year they return um, actually six uh, starters um, as one of them. Uh, or I'm sorry, let me let me take that back. They return five. Uh, that will um, that had starting experience last year. Yeah. They should be starting four of those returning starters upcoming and look for very much improved play along the offensive line that should lead to better running back produ- production from those not named Dexter Williams. So I think if their offensive line can show the improvement that uh, many uh, Irish fans are expecting, 
then the running back play will will be a product of that as well. Well, I, I can say honestly, if they have to turn to Sebo Flemister as their feature back this year, then there might be some concerns for Irish fans. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I think we would all agree with that. If it's anyone not named Armstrong, and, and to a lesser extent Jones, I think there's a lot of worry in South Bend. Yep, but Sebo uh, gets my my nod for uh, college football name of the year, though. So, uh, <laughs> and and a pretty good kick returner, I, I might add. So, yes, yes, lots of love for Sebo and his first name. <laughs> So where can you find us on on your platforms? Well, if this is not the one that is yours of choice, we are also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Radio Public as well. Uh, we are a bowl full of chips and fans. Those were Spring's biggest questions, but there's certainly no question where you should continue to get your college football insight, and that's here on A Bowl Full of Chips. We love what we do, and we always want to work like a walk-on to give you the useful information and projective insight that will make you that much more aware of the game you love and perhaps give you the analytical edge in making your picks against the spread, your fantasy team, or to just prove to your rivals that you know more than they do. Bip and I are the Burlesworth Trophy frontrunners of the college football podcast world. The season starts in just five months, but there's still a lot of education we have to offer you. So we strongly hope you continue to listen, check out our previous episodes you may not have gotten to yet, but more importantly, spread the word and help us be heard. So again, share, subscribe, review, and renew. Remember to interact with us on Twitter. You can be as complimentary or as critical as you wish. We relish the reception. Thanks for tuning into A Bowl Full of Chips, the answers to your college football questions. I am Chappie. And I am Bip. And we'll be back next time to set you straight, whether it's early or late. Good night, God bless, and please don't make a mess. See ya. See ya. Wow, Bip. That sure was a long day. You did a great job bringing everyone home safely, Bip. But how are you going to get home? (laughs) Awesome, Bip.